0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sikopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hey, Tothy, have you ever heard the saying, may you live in interesting times? It was supposedly a Chinese curse.
1: Well, I have heard it, yes. Was it um, Robert Kennedy who said it? Is that right?
0: Whoa, yeah, very, very good. He Ooh. did he did say it, but you know, the first person that it's attributable to is this guy, Austin Chamberlain. And you may, if you have any kind of uh, British history uh, background, know that uh, Chamberlain's father and brother were both prime ministers of, of Great Britain, and that Chamberlain himself won a Nobel Prize.
1: Well, I have to admit, I have no um, British prime minister history bone in my body, so I really didn't know that. But I'm thrilled to have this Excellent piece of information about Austin Chamberlain. And um, I like this curse, um, may you live in interesting times. It's both understandable and it's, um, it's uncomfortable. It's unsettling, don't you think?
0: I, I, I agree with you. It does seem like, though, that, that the word interesting in that quote is being used uh, as code for change, right? So may yeah. you live in times of change.
1: Yes, yes. And when it comes to reimbursement, it certainly seems like we are living in times of change. I mean, we've got increasing deductibles, high deductible health plans, value-based care is coming along. Um, oh, and this year we've got um, new codes that are reimbursable for virtual visits and telehealth. So yeah, lots oh. of change. And it's January. Oh. So all of these changes, uh, You know, we've got a new year and a new chance to address a lot of these changes and plan for them.
0: Ready or not, here they come, right? So <laughs> yeah. practices, have, practices have to have the ability to, to change and adapt to these, to these new things.
1: Yeah. And in the words of Winston Churchill, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often, even though I don't know. I don't oh, see you're,
0: you're holding back on me. You've just <laughs> upped your game with the Churchill quote. Very nice. Very nice. So let's bring things back over to our side of the pond, right? Okay.
1: All right. When you're
0: finished changing, you're finished. Benjamin Franklin.
1: Oh, we love him on this show. We, we quote him oh, often. Oh, Ben's ben. great. Ben, he's- Ben's great. Cool. <laughs> well, um, yes, when you're finished changing, you're finished. So we're not finished. We've got a lot of change happening. And so who better to have as our guest today than somebody who has been talking about change in, in the revenue cycle for decades, and that's our mutual friend and colleague, Karen Zupko. Pre- president oh, of Karen's Office Associates. Yeah, yes. Um, so Karen's here to give us her perspective on the most important reimbursement and revenue cycle trends that have been, uh, that are you know, going to happen and roll out in 2019 and how they're going to impact practices.
0: The good thing about Karen, she's always fun, very informative, full of all kinds of practical tips. Yes. She's got some great ideas about how to avoid traps that are uh, common in practices, things that keep billing teams from being their most productive or keep operations from being efficient. She's going to help us uh, navigate uh, around these these traps.
1: Yes, and I would also say this is a very timely episode because, as I mentioned previously, you know, it's January and there are so many things managers are juggling this time of year. It's, it's very easy to get bogged down in the details of you know, buying your new CPT books and um, updating the payment schedules and the practice management system. But in addition to all those details, it's really a good time to map the goals for the year. And Karen is great at helping practices distill the big picture into focused tactics and helping uh, practices. We're going to talk to her about how practices can take action on the big trends and uh, focus on what's important and how to boost the bottom line.
0: So this is going to be great, but before the distillation can begin, Tothy, you know we have something we have to do. Your favorite time and my favorite time, <laughs> or the show, right? So
1: yes, lay it on are, me. Are, pal.
0: Are, are you ready for it?
1: Yeah. Here, here, lay it, on here on. it
0: comes. Aprotropic. I like this word, hmm. and just in case you, you haven't heard it before, it means. <laughs> Well, it means to have the power to avert or ward off evil influences or bad luck. So like the classic example of something that's apotropaic is a gargoyle, right? It's to ward off evil.
1: The gargoyle, well, that's one of my favorite characters from, I don't know, from where? From books, from movies, from, they're always so scary sitting on the, like churches and stuff, right? In I think about yeah. Notre Dame in Paris, those gargoyles. I, I never quite understood that. Well, wait a minute. All of a sudden, it's clicking in my head. That's why the gargoyles are there. They're warding off evil. Don't come into Notre Dame. Yeah, Don't come that, into the there church. you go. Okay, I have just proved you, you the ju-
0: definition. <laughs> you just you made the connection. There I you go.
1: made the connection. But it,
0: no, we have to admit, though, it is not an easy word to say. And no, before we no. got started, we had we had a discussion, right? <laughs> we
1: had so let's see. I, I, I had to how many times did I have to say it, Mike, before I could actually say it? apotropaic? I
0: stopped counting.
1: All right, so so counting. let's let's do what I did, which was that we, I had to go to miriam webstercom and press the little audio. Let's hear her. Let's here's the proper to, proper pronunciation of apotropaic.
2: Apotropaic. Apotropaic. apotropaic.
1: So there you, you go. You nailed it. You, you
0: nailed it with, the, uh, with it the electronic <laughs> accent.
1: And with we, the electronic we, accent. Yeah. And we all need more apotropaic things in our lives. Wasn't that good? Did I mimic that well or what? <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you, you did You did indeed.
1: Yes, I did. So, uh, well, so, here,
0: so here, I think, you know what, it's, I think it's time to, um, to let, uh, let Karen Zepko be our uh, a person for 2019 with regard to revenue cycle. So let's, uh, let's jump right in.
1: All right. So here in the virtual studio today, we have internationally known practice advisor, Karen Zupko, president of Karen Zupko Associates, KZA, as it's often known. Karen's Firm has been advising and educating physicians to solve business problems for more than thirty years. Karen, welcome to Sound Practice.
2: Thank you, Cheryl. I'm delighted to be here today, and to be talking about money.
1: All right. Well, you know, Karen, you and I have known each other for quite a while, wouldn't you say? I think I would a number say of years. More than two decades. <laughs> yes, decades. In fact, um, that's true. And your firm, KZA, has been consulting with and educating thousands and thousands of practices, uh, physicians, staff, practice leaders, and that's mainly um, in orthopedics, ENT, neurosurgery, plastic surgery, and general surgery, I think, and with your significant and deep expertise in revenue cycle, patient collections, and coding, we thought you'd be the perfect guest uh, to talk about this topic today as we kick off the year in January and really think about like you said, money, revenue cycle trends, um, traps to avoid, and all of that. So really looking forward to your input. And I thought before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about KZA, how you
2: work with physicians, and a uh, little bit about the firm. Okay, thanks. Well, we are a consulting team of eight. We have nurses with master's degrees. We have other uh, people with deep clinical expertise and a variety of uh, designations from both AHIMA and AAPC. Mm-hmm. We have others of us who primarily work on the business side of practice, helping with personnel issues as well as uh, mergers. We've been doing some of that. And I just want to put in one plug. If you are thinking at any point in the next two years of your practice being acquired by a hospital merging with other groups the time to call us is now it's a little bit like real estate you know if you were going to sell your house typically you go through a whole series of tune-ups to make it uh more have better eye appeal for your prospective buyers Mm -hmm. and the same thing is true with practices
1: Got it. That is some great insight. Well, good. And um, as we, thinking of timelines, as you're mentioning, why don't we think about, uh, or why don't we start talking about this year, the year ahead, what do you think practices should make sure that they do in this January, February, March timeline, you know, this first quarter early in the year
2: when it comes to revenue cycle? Sure. Well, Cheryl, some of what I'm about to suggest, I would hope, Some listeners at least did in the fourth quarter. But it is never too late to consider the strategies and tactics that I'm going to discuss with you. That's Um, good. One of the first (laughs) things I can think of is to rethink the way you run the accounts receivable reports. So let me explain that. The first thing I'd like listeners to do is to run the AR and separating patient owed balances from those owed by insurance companies. And in some practices, although the total dollar number, let me give you an example. owed The total owed by patients may be 250,000. Okay. And then when you look at the insurance owed balances, you say, well, it's two and a half million. In actual fact, two and a half million is not the real number by insurance carriers because of the uh, multiplier that was set with your fee schedule. And oh, one
1: practice, oh, and you write some of that up. So you take some of that to the contractual adjustment. So it's not it, real.
2: Exactly. It's, okay. it's not real money. But when you look at a quarter of a million dollars, as I did in a recent practice, that's real money. Mm. Not Dime for dime, dollar for dollar. Okay. So I think it's really helpful not to... Look at an accounts receivable report that is um, kind of like minestrone soup. It's got everything in it. <laughs> so I would I would separate that. Okay. And then the next thing I would do is, and I I want to say one other thing. Many people only carry the aging to 120 days. When in actual fact, you can go to 150 and you can go to 180. And I'd encourage people to do that. Why? Because Cheryl, you've known me for two decades. I am an optimistic person. Mm-hmm. You know, little Annie tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> you all the time. But there is a point where this is foolish op- optimism. It's actually reckless. So when you age the AR out and you see that people are at 180, 210 days, there are things that we should write off. Uh-huh. we should do a big write-off party and remove that from our books. And you can turn it over to collections. You can do a whole host of things. The point is don't carry it on your active receivables that you're holding your staff accountable for. We did this so, in one practice and we went out into the parking lot. We held hands and sang kumbaya <laughs> and said, this is never going to happen again. You know, we made yeah. a
1: resolution. Well, and so what you're saying then is in these first couple of months, this is a good time to do that, to generate these reports, split the patient and the insurance balances or receivables so that you look at them separately and run that AR out 150, 180 days and, and clean up. Basically clean up is what you're saying that AR um, and it's not too late, as you said. So first quarter is okay time to do that.
2: Yeah. Start the new year. Right. Excellent. Now, um, in this new year, okay, I want to finish one. I, I want to finish one other thought. Next, I would like everybody to run the AR by insurance carrier, mm-hmm. and in doing that, I'd like you to see who your definitively who your problem children are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, what is that total dollars owed by Blue Cross Blue Shield of your estate? What's owed by UNH? What's owed by Aetna? And looking at that, and particularly what is in the over 60 days, those carriers, most of your contracts say they should have paid you at 30, typically 45 days at the latest. So Mm -hmm. if that's the case, we really want to dig into that. And it's timely to do this because for a whole host of reasons, as you know, Um, first quarter revenue takes a hit. So we really need to be assertive about looking at some of the money that is carried forward on our books from 2018. Okay. And it's particularly troubling. You know, I show office managers and physicians, when your AR for Medicare has money in the 60, 90, 120-day-old column, that is a problem. Those claims were supposed to be paid by statute, like on day 14, Mm -hmm. on a clean claim. So what that tells me typically, it suggests, it doesn't tell me, it suggests that people aren't uh, responding either to the clearinghouse report or to Medicare when they say this uh, member number is wrong, uh, you didn't uh, have the correct modifier. The diagnosis code is insufficient. So we really need to dig in to a diagnostic on what carriers are a problem and what we need to do to fix. And so although you may say, well, Medicare isn't our best payer, I would tell you that on some codes, it is based on my experience. But Medicare tells you why they're not paying. Which some of the other carriers are not quite as um, transparent; they're more opaque. Okay. So, um, so so that's one action step. Um, Cheryl, you and I have talked many times about the problems with high deductible health plans. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this is the time of year. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And on that front, I do have some small piece of good news and the uh, business group on health, I was doing some research and I found on their website that it has come to the attention of many employers that they've really done their employees a disservice by by offering these, some, some exclusively these plans and the large employers, this does not speak to any, small employers, but large employers. Okay. Uh, the, the data on their website showed that there would be a, a 9% reduction uh, in terms of the firms that are offering these HDHP plans from 39% to 30. So that's sort of a hopeful glimmer.
1: Yeah. So that means that maybe we're going to have fewer of those uh, large deductibles at the beginning of the year, Not not such a growing percentage because i've heard you say over the years those high deductible health plans i mean they've been just growing like crazy which has resulted in patient collection issues and receivables issues down the down the pike but maybe that the ship is turning a little bit
2: yes i i i think they've come to the realization that there was it wasn't the right yeah Mm -hmm. yep maybe it wasn't good for people
1: and when we think about trends like that, like some of these trends, maybe the tide is turning. When practices look at 2019, what are some of the other trends that they should be concerned with or pay attention to? What's, what's kind of out there in the industry that you could say, hey, you know, this is something to pay attention to, and here's how you might handle it in the office?
2: What are you seeing in the field? Well, I think one thing, if your practice has not been sharp, totally on their game with regard to patient financial, financial counseling and helping people meet their high deductible health plan. Um, I, I, I think 2019 you're behind the eight ball. You need to make a change. So for example, in our pre-course surveys, Cheryl, of, orthopedic surgeons, ENTs, and general surgeons, we only find that 54% are asking for surgery scheduling deposits. And if you're listening and you're in a medical specialty, you are in GI, you are in allergy, you just substitute the word procedure. Mm -hmm. So we think it's really important that you use claim estimators And that is disappointing. In our pre-course surveys, only about 24% of practices were using this feature. So you can actually go on the payer website, put in the patient's ID and group number, et cetera, and it will put in your CPT codes, your diagnosis codes, and it says this is what the patient is likely to owe for this service. Oh, that's great!
1: And, and it yeah. So that comes right from that comes from the payer's website, and exactly. I assume it maybe looks official then because it's not just, you know, the surgery exactly. scheduler calculating with their calculator. It's coming from the payer, Actually, right? Day.
2: Not not handed to the patient on a sticky note. Yeah, it can come out of the printer, and it has your carrier's logo on the statement. So. We believe, and you say, well, if they have $5,000 deductible and the carrier says it's $3,000, if I try to collect $3,000 from some of these people, they're not going to have anything done. Mm -hmm. I agree. But the patient will know and you will ask for some partial payment. You know, I can't go through every single circumstance. I'm not talking about turning people away, about arm wrestling them for their credit cards. What I am saying is, let's use a common sense approach and let's look at the patient's occupation. Let's look at their zip code Mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is what a reasonable prepayment would be. And then we should be setting up the payment plan. And I want to talk about that a little bit later, but just let me throw that idea out there. Okay. All right. Um,
1: So that's a good, any, any, another trend maybe that you're, Want people to be mindful of this year. Something else out there. I mean, I, you know, we've got value-based care. We've got uh, uh, different types of ways that patients can pay. Those are coming down the pike. What do you What do you think um, should be of particular
2: import for listeners? Well, for full disclosure, I have been a consultant to Care Credit for over a decade. And when I began working with Care Credit, they exclusively were working with plastic surgeons and dermatologists and LASIK surgeons and dentists. They've since expanded the scope and have opened that up to physicians in a whole host of specialties. Mm -hmm. Care credit is a healthcare charge card, if you will. Okay. And for a small percentage, the practice is paid in two days. And then they, so they pay you And then the patient will be paying them on a monthly basis. And if you go to www.carecredit.com, I'm going to encourage you to do a couple of things. To not take somebody else's word for it. I was recently at a workshop, Cheryl, and the pediatricians, a lot of pediatricians there, and they said, well, they won't take us. Somebody screams out from the back of the room. Well, that's just plain wrong. So I encourage every listener to do a little bit of their own research. They offer a variety of plans, and depending on the plans that you decide to offer your patients, you don't have to offer all, you um, do take a small percentage uh, cut. But, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and your practice money market fund now is paying you, uh, we hope you've, you've looked at that is now paying some interest, so it's well worth it from a cash flow point of view. Maybe you're gonna decide we're gonna try care credit for first quarter, first and second quarter. This is not like uh, carved uh, into stone tablets that you're going to do it forever, but I would certainly say that during this period of having to collect some fairly significant balances from a good many of your poor patients, that this would be a wise strategy to employ.
1: Well, and I, I have to say, in having interviewed a lot of care credit users in various specialties, um, the efficiency gains in the billing office, too, and the uh, the uh, uh, almost like a relief. I, actually, a manager said that to me recently. What a relief that they don't have to try to manage internal payment plans anymore. They, you know, the 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 receivable is off the books, and care credit deals directly with the patient. So there's a lot of advantages. Um, cash flow being one of them, of course, efficiency to using something like this to help with um, shoring up those balances. So, kind of to go back to one of your original comments, you don't have receivables stretching out 150 days, 180 days that you then right. have to go in the parking lot and sing "Kumbaya" because you've decided you have to write you've them written off, off right? written
2: off tens of thousands of dollars. Yikes! Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you that's know, Cheryl, I wanted to share one other example that I consider a real success story. Okay. Um, this practice did two things. And let me say it's a two doctor two NPs, so f- four providers, okay. plus two physical therapists kind of in a in, you know in an adjacent space. And we were facing in the spring, you know big issues with patient owed AR. And what we began to do is we have assigned one staffer, And believe me, this pays off and you could hire, we're gonna talk about personnel I know a little bit later, but you could hire a student intern to help with this part. So our staff guy looks up all of the patients who are coming in three or four days ahead and phones them and says, we're looking forward to seeing you on Monday and you owe X amount of dollars. I've got good news, and so when he phones people, he says, "Hey, uh, Mrs. Jones, I've got good news. Uh-huh. Your insurance company paid, and your remaining balance is only two hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, spin it positive. And <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. You point out the positive thing, right? right? Your insurance company paid. You only owe." or you only owe $730, you know, they paid $5,000. So anyway, he states that, and he says, I can take a credit card over the phone if you'd like to settle that now. Well, some people do, but many say, no, I'll pay when I check in. This is critical, Cheryl. We take the next step. We say, "Miss Jones, that's great. Will you be paying with... Uh, HSA, check, credit card. Uh, I'll be paying with a credit card. And let me just make a note as to which one. Ah. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be my MasterCard. Why is this so important? Well, because when Ms. Jones checks in, the receptionist knows that <clears throat> they've been called, they're aware of their balance, and they agreed that they were going to pay by a particular method Mm -hmm. so she says hi Ms. jones we're so glad to see you and i'm pleased to tell you that the doctor's running right on time and i can see that mike um, back in the business office said that you would be settling your balance today with mastercard can i have that card now
1: Uh aha good step Yep. yep you've got the team working together one asks on the phone they take a note and then when the patient comes lo and behold the they know the staff already and remind them the staff know and remind them that you were going to, your payment choice today is
2: X, Y, Z. That's great. Yes. So doing, it's right. It's, um, it prevents patients trying to, uh, cause the staff to, you know, to run around the staff. It, yep. it says, we all know we're on the same page here. Yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: Well, and, um, Let's talk a little bit too about ways to be organized and do things efficiently. Let's talk a little bit about about technology because I hear you speak about this a lot, these modern payment technologies and things we can do to make the team more efficient. Maybe communication is one of them. I'm not sure you're going to tell us. But what are some of the payment technologies out there that are low-hanging fruit, if you will, that you just – don't see practices adopting fast enough, and they should, what would you suggest to them when it comes to some technologies that help with AR collections and
2: revenue cycle? I have a list for you. Oh, good. The first is batch eligibility, and Cheryl it is so frustrating. This is a technology that's been around for 20 years, <laughs> um, and you simply scrub your appointment list, and Everybody who's coming in, and it is going to say, yes, they're insur- you've got to enter new patients. You have to pre-register new patients. Okay. But your established patients are already in there, right? Right. So, okay. So one thing before you even get to the technology is register the new patient completely. You want name, address. You want their card number. You enter that into the system. When I push that batch eligibility button, my whole appointment list goes out for people coming in two days from now, it comes back and it says, good, good, oops, bad, right? Not bad. Sometimes I have the wrong, let, let me give you an example right now. Okay. Because people, they, they are rolling out the issuance of the new Medicare cards, mm-hmm. with new numbers. You're going to be reminded very clearly that you should call and remind the Medicare patient, if you have a new card, be sure that you bring it. I was a patient the other day at an orthopedic practice, and I watched the woman next to me say, oh, yeah, I got that, but I didn't bring it with me. You know, not so, so good. No. You're not going to be able to file the claim without that number. Right. So let, let's get on that batch eligibility. Okay. You know, our colleague, Cheyenne Brinson, recently shared with the rest of the group um, an analysis of a practice's accounts receivable surgical subspecialty. And it was amazing to one and all that something like 60% of the dollars in accounts receivable were not generated at the hospital, not generated at the ASC. They were generated in the office. They were office visits and office services. So it's really time to you know sharpen up um, yeah well because I I think a lot of
1: practices look at the office visits and just assume that that's just a low amount but it isn't as you're saying you look at the data and you find that a large percentage of the AR indeed is from office I mean you have ejections x-rays tests uh, visit fees Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that could happen in in uh, a in the office
2: right that adds up to big dollars to big so dollars. batch eligibility. Okay. So we've got that our, one. That's a, really well, but I just want to say, we only have, we have a slightly less than 50% of our respondents using batch eligibility. Oh, wow. So okay. That's
1: so improvement, why. there's room for improvement out there in practice land. More
2: it's, something that's, it. yeah. it's something that's easy. That's existed for a long time. Okay. So, We want electronic remittance, and some people only take that for Medicare. I find that to be a big mistake. We have better participation. We had 60% saying we are using electronic remittance. Uh, In other words, the carrier's computer goes into yours and posts all those visit payments for 99213. Um, And then all we do, and that All we do is then work the exceptions. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's a lot more
1: efficient way for your billing team because the the payments are, if the payment is right and there's no doesn't trip an exception, it's just done. But then your your staff only need to deal with the exceptions then. Is that right? right? Am I interpreting that
2: exactly? Okay, exactly. And then electronic funds transfer is another. And I'm happy to report that we have 75% of everybody saying, yep, we're into that EFT. And that means that the money, the check does not pass through your office. It means that money is wire transferred from the carrier to your bank account. So we're happy um, with that high participation there. I mentioned online claim estimators, Mm -hmm. and people should Google that. People should go to their three biggest payers and see what the estimated feature looks like. In some cases, the estimate can be done through your clearinghouse. So put that on your to-be-investigated list. Again, we only had about 24% of everybody um, using that really valuable financial counseling tool.
1: And is that is Karen, is there usually a charge for that? I mean, is the practice charged for the claim estimator to use it? Or not? Not if you're going to the carrier's website, no. Okay. So that one's free. And so there there are some small charges like transaction fees and things for some of the other that you've mentioned, yeah. the electronic remittance. So there might be some small fees there for the efficiency return, very small, right? But the and, online claim estimator is free.
2: Right, but it's a fantastic return. Yeah, exactly. Whatever they're charging you for ERA and EFT, remember in many states, the minimum wage is now gone. Here in Illinois, it'll be $15. So the day of you know, hiring minimum wage posters um, you know, is over. I, re- yeah. I really need to be sure that I'm getting um, the maximum contribution to the bottom line, maximum contribution and efficiency out of all of my staff. So the next item that we would recommend in terms of modern payment technologies is um, recurring payment. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows really what recurring payment is because if you've got a gym membership, they sure as heck don't send you a bill every month and hope that you're going to pay. Your mortgage company doesn't do that. Your electric company doesn't do that. Many of us, have a whole host of things that, uh, with with different vendors who either put a charge on our credit card or who are debiting our checking account.
1: Right. So have a lot of
2: doctors, those doctors. Doctors are of course the last people to use recurring payment, and um, it was about forty five percent overall who are using this payment feature.
1: And yeah, so there's definitely room for improvement there because that, that's one of those things where even if you are going to try to establish a payment plan with a patient, isn't this a great way to do it? Because, you know, you, you set, it, set them up with the credit card, just like I have my Netflix and Pandora and uh, my insurance payment, my premiums and things like that. They're just automatically taken. So a practice could use this to clear up a larger bill without too much human intervention other than just setting it up my- Is that about right?
2: Right? Here's the deal. If somebody says, I'm going to pay you $50 a month, great. The point is, and I've had people try to tell me otherwise, no practice that I have visited has enough staff to follow up on every single one of those promises to pay. Mm -hmm. And in most software systems, there is not an easy place to identify patients who are on payment plans and what was supposed to come in this takes you out of the policing business mm-hmm. which first of all you don't have enough people and secondly if you did they're typically not very good at it yeah right right then, and, and well and, you, and you're also see there aren't, you don't really have a good
1: most practice management systems don't have a good feature to help you manage it so if you're trying to do it manually like from a list or something that's just people there's too many other things that the staff have to, to pay attention to. That's probably not going to happen, the policing, right. like you said.
2: So, recurring on a credit card if you're not using Care Credit. So, one of those in, in the offices that I advise, I am saying you need to have recurring payment on a credit card as an option, and you need to have Care credit as an option. Okay. So my, my advice is I want a full toolbox when I'm dealing with um, patient AR. Let me give you another one. There is data from the West Corporation out of Wisconsin the, uh, 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 with a sizable sample. And this is particularly true, the younger your patient population is, they do not want a paper statement. They want an e statement and and they want to be able to pay online. So if you are listening and you are still, I was actually at an office and I was watching people fold and stuff statements. That is right out of 1978. Okay. Yeah. You are way behind the eight ball if you are still folding and stuffing statements. So I encourage everybody call your software vendor, call your clearinghouse. Let's see what we can do about uh, sending E statements and some people worry and they say, oh, I'm not sure it's gonna work. Okay, well then do both. Do paper and E and see which gets a bigger response. I know, for example, in a sports medicine practice that has very few Medicare patients and more millennial patients that this has made a difference.
1: Okay. Well, and let's let's talk to you about paying online. Um, what what percentage do you find uh, uh, or practices are allowing for online payments on their website or something like that? Because you mentioned millennials, they they want to pay electronically. I mean, they're used to paying on PayPal or what's the other one? I can't think of Vimeo or no, that's the video yeah. company, I guess. But, you know, there's all these so different Venmo. ways to pay. Uh, yes, Venmo. So h- how do you see this working um, in terms of patient satisfaction when
2: practices offer uh, the payments to be done online. The online bill payment, uh, our respondents, when I'm looking at our survey results, Cheryl, that's about 60% of the practices say that we accept online payments. Well, that's pretty good. And I mean, there's still room for
1: improvement, but you know, it's a little, it's a little better than some right. of the others.
2: Right, and so you wanna be sure that your statement says you can pay this bill online, and do not bury in the website the online bill bill payment feature so we have now added that where when i'm asked to the home page okay okay so that bill, that bill pay icon and then when you click on that it also gives you the opportunity to apply for care credit from the practice website and that has a lot of advantages because A, you can then go to Care Credit Pro and you can see who applied and how much they were approved for. So, again, I think having technologies in a silo and not having the technologies be complementary and work together, for some practices, that will be their biggest area of improvement. They've got all these pieces, but they're not integrated. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, they've got to they've think about how these pieces fit together for a, a smoother patient experience and to get that bill paid. And
2: for an optimal result. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and then I think I've got one more, Cheryl, which okay. is automated appointment reminders. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, Solution Reach, which as uh, some listeners may know, Used to be called smile reminder, comes out of the dentistry field. Dentists have no tolerance for no show patients. Um, so, this can provide an appointment reminder and it can provide a reminder that you will be asked to pay. And they have now a very cool function so that care credit, um, an application, is integrated in that reminder. Oh, I was well. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really
1: cool. Well, so that's terrific. You've given us at least seven or eight technologies, a number of great action steps for the first quarter, how to generate reports, how to look at that data, why you would want to focus on um, collecting up front. Let's, um, let's close things out by, you know, there's a, we have a lot of things that we could be doing this year that managers could be doing. If we know that, everyone out there is busy. What are the top two or three you think managers uh, and practice leaders should be focused on in 2019? If, If they were to have limited time and resources, what would give them the biggest bang for their buck?
2: I would say that the suggestion that I made about looking up the detailed information on the patients who are coming in, it is always easier, Cheryl, in my experience, to have a face-to-face conversation with someone about the bill and about making arrangements than it is leaving voicemails, sending emails, or doing remote communication. I think that one-on-one. I think the other is setting up the payment plan in first quarter for procedures that have a large dollar amount and the patient has A high deductible. Um, I also had one more idea that we usually recommend in fourth quarter, but gosh, I don't see why you couldn't do it in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, What what we're doing is we're saying, in first quarter, you've got people who ran up a big balance in third and fourth, right? So it's carried forward. So we say to folks, geez, if you can settle this statement you know by uh but pick a date you know the end of february and it's paid in full we will reduce the amount owed by 15 anywhere between 10 and 20 percent so we're giving the patient an incentive incentive,
1: to pay yeah yeah
2: okay
1: yeah and if it's there to be clear if it's the patient's responsibility it's okay to this is okay to yes. do then. Yes, right. Yep, and and that right, can right. get them to to uh, make a decision more quickly and close out close out the balance.
2: Great, sure, and that's a great. Idea. I just want to say if you are in one of those specialties: orthopedics, ENT, um, general surgery, vascular surgery, plastic surgery. Um, really encourage you to look at. The upcoming workshop schedule and we have a half-day business course that I think people leave jazzed excited it's not just um, random idea but we give you the instructions about detailed instructions about how to put things in into place so well and we're gonna hope- put
1: so we'll put uh, we'll put the Karen's up Co Dot com website more information about those courses is there and also um, some links to the workshop brochures because I do think um, the the comprehensive nature of those courses from coding and reimbursement and revenue cycle all of that rolled together as you mentioned earlier you have to integrate all these pieces it's not just like you can do one thing and be successful so I think the way that the workshops are, have integrated information will be very beneficial to listeners. So we'll put that in the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like us to put in the show notes We can uh, related to what you've talked about today, Karen? We'll do that. Um,
2: I've got one last thing, and that is if you have mid-level providers, PAs or NPs, we have recently done a variety of reviews um, and ignorance – can be very, very expensive. So there's one practice, it's going to be well over a half a million dollars in terms of a payback because of being willfully ignorant about the NPP rules, about having mid-level see a patient when there was no plan of care and billing an incident two. We have no doctors in the office uh, when the mid-level is seeing patients and they're billing incident too, please, it's so, so very painful um, to have to say to someone, you haven't followed, you've only followed half the rules or you've followed none of the rules. So I do encourage people to look at that. And also if you provide services that are, not covered um, by insurance, uh, the use of waivers would be really important. In Mm -hmm. Medicare, of course, it's called an ABN, but that principle can apply to commercial insurance as well. So those are my thoughts. Great. Well,
1: always a pleasure to speak with you and a set of very rich, ideas and uh, a long list of action steps that are going to help everyone that's listening in terms of shoring up their AR and collecting from patients. So thanks
2: for joining us today on the sound practice podcast, Karen. Carol, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I hope that our listeners leave motivated with a, a productive to-do list.
0: Well, Tothi, Karen did not disappoint. She never really does. She had a laundry list of things that practices can do to improve their AR. From how they run reports and look at data to better use of payment technologies, Karen really helped us out. She mentioned a bunch of those really super helpful ideas, didn't she?
1: She did. And so much of what she recommended does require change. Some of the data she shared about the percentage of practices that don't collect. Procedure deposits that was pretty interesting and and all the money that is available uh, to collect at the point of service in the office that goes uncollected you know that is um, that is something to think about this year. Times are different um, than they were even five years ago, and practices need to step up their game when it comes to collecting up front and setting up efficient systems and payment options and and leveraging technology
0: I. I agree with all of that. Definitely useful information. So what we'll do is put up information about the coding and reimbursement workshops, as well as links to KZA's website and care credits information uh, on our show notes.
1: All good, Mike. And uh, I think that does it for this episode of sound practice. If you liked our show today, please rate it and review it on Apple podcasts or Google play.
0: Ooh, yes, please do that. We'd also love to hear feedback about this episode or any other episode. So you can send that to us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com.
1: Yep, and don't forget to join us for our next episode. We post one every other Wednesday. If you'd like guidance on how to navigate the complexities of SEO and the integration of social media into your digital assets, don't miss our next episode. Mike interviews Brent Cavender, Chief Client Advocate of MetaMed Marketing. Brent shares his thoughts about the design, utility, and functionality of an effective website, as well as how to select a good web designer and choose the right firm to host your site. Join us for the next episode of Sound Practice, available in the Apple Store, Google Play, or or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been
0: listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com.